my goodness, we are uh, in a series going through the book of Mark. Bet you didn't know that. <clears throat> so we've been going through this. We're in chapter nine. We've been going through it for a year now. I don't know. Has it been a year? Amanda, has it been a year? Not quite. Almost, almost a year, and we're halfway through. Here's what's interesting about the book of Mark. The first, nine or the first eight chapters are like almost three years of Jesus' life, and then the last eight chapters are like just weeks of Jesus' life. And so we're moving into the latter half, um, and I just wanna continue to say it. The goal of this is to create a clear vision of who Jesus is in a chaotic time when the church was being persecuted in Rome. And right now we're in Mark chapter nine, just a few short verses, uh, nine, uh, 38 through 41. So I'll read it and um, just take this in. In fact, let's slow down for a minute. <laughs> I'm moving too fast mentally. It says this, it says, teacher, uh, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And don't stop him, said Jesus, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And so that's the passage, um, a, a kind of a short passage today. But um, I wanted to start by uh, sharing this work of art with you today. Um, this is a beautiful work of art made by one of my children. Um, and how many of you have received a work of art like this from a child in the past? Yep. So I'm pretty sentimental. I save all this stuff. And, uh, and I've had things changing out in my, in my study and, 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 you know, just in my office space. You know, I have pictures up and then I'll put them in boxes and I'll save them all. It's a work of art. And when a child comes up to you and, and hands you this, sometimes you hear something like this. Isn't it beautiful, Daddy? And you know what? It is beautiful. And this is before um, this child, this was actually Sophie. She didn't know I was gonna share that. It was a long time ago, it's okay. Um, two weeks ago, she made that for me. It was awesome. <laughs> She's 15, that's cool. Um, uh, but here's what stuck out to me, and this passage um, will build into this thought. It's interesting to me how content a child is coloring outside of the lines. There's just such a contentment there with that. In fact, a child is not just content, um, uh, you know, coloring outside the lines on paper, but also in life. In fact, lines are kind of just suggestions, right? And uh, so if the lines are there and you, and you see them going, like, there's just suggestions. And some color will be in the lines. Uh, but... Um, also in life, and, and, and this really um, struck me as I began to think about a child, um, they just color outside of the lines uh, in their imagination. I can be a teacher or an astronaut. Jesus can part the Red Sea, but also sit at the foot of my bed when I sleep. There's just this ability to not have these rigid lines of how life and faith work yet. Um, but then along the way, we learn to color in the lines, and these lines move um, from suggestions, they actually move to rules, um, again, not just on paper, but in life. We learn how life works. 
life works a certain way and we, we learn that way and we begin to think that way. And even when we do, we, there's adult coloring books now. How many of you are into that thing? That sort of thing. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, don't be ashamed. I like coloring books. And they're, they're, you notice that the adult coloring books is not like these big spaces to fill in with one color. These tiny little spaces. Why? Because you've learned how to color in the lines, right? It's what we do as adults. We've learned how to color in the lines. And um, so uh, keep coloring away, um, literally. Let's talk metaphorically. Um, and, and, and I just want to point out that lines are not all that bad. In fact, I did a little research this week, which I don't normally do um, with this sort of thing. But the average person I read spends five years in line or in a queue, like in some sort of queue. Um, I, was on, I was on the phone for two and a half hours on hold with the IRS not too long ago. It was super fun, super fun. It was an awesome day. I loved it. I'm a, I can't wait till tomorrow. I'm going to do it again. Um, it's so good. Uh, but lines, in a sense, they do bring order, right? So they're not all bad. Um, how many of you can't stand it when somebody cuts in line? Anybody? Yeah, you're not, you know, don't be ashamed. Have you ever been driving to church and like somebody's in front of you, they're driving too slow and, and you're like, a little too close? And then you realize they pull into the church parking lot to you? Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> I had that happen once. Back when I was a youth pastor. <laughs> Forgive me if I ever do that to you. It's me just saying, I love you, bump, bump. Um. But uh, lines also bring safety. They, they uh, create boundaries. In fact, boundaries are really, really helpful. So let me just say this at the top of it. Lines aren't all bad. Uh, but this story in scripture is about lines. It's about how a small group of people, of disciples, were challenged the day that Jesus colored outside of the lines. Jesus moved in a way. In fact, I'm gonna start with... Um, Two questions and then an image to help us just get into this text uh, a little bit more, I think, thoughtfully. The questions are, are this. How do you respond when God colors outside of the lines? In other words, what happens when God moves in a way that you don't have a category for? What happens when God moves in a way that you don't have a category for? Um, and, and sometimes, and this is where the image comes in, sometimes our theology leads us if you're not familiar, like maybe you've heard the word theology, it means knowledge of God. Um, and, and many times our theology leads us. This is what I know of God, and so I'm gonna follow that. But there are times in life when our theology is just keeping, trying to catch up with God. We're actually seeing God move in ways that we don't have categories for. Maybe we've read about it in scripture, but in our daily life, and in our, in our pr practice of the presence of God, in, in living the way of Jesus in our everyday life, we just don't, maybe we don't think that matters or can happen anymore. There's a word called cessationalism, which is like the, the, the miracles, the way the spirit moved, um, you know, the gifts of the spirit, those were things for the past, but not now. But what do you do when somebody's healed right in front of you? What do you do with that? Now all of a sudden your theology is playing a little bit of catch up. And it causes you to look at the scriptures um, a little bit more, more closely. And so the image that I'd like to pass on to you today is this, and it's one that I've used before. Um, theology is not just information that we drink in intellectually, that we, we drink it and we take it into our brains. Um, theology is an ocean that we jump into. We will never stop discovering um, God, ever, for all of eternity, Never ending, we'll constantly be learning. And here's the thing I like about the, the ocean idea is there's a current that takes us on a journey and we are not in control. I can control what comes in here 
and I can control the decisions I make in my life, but I, when I'm in the ocean, I can't control where it takes me. And so a bit of this passage are disciples of Jesus in everyday life letting go of control. And so the flow of this, and it's a little bit of context, Jesus, um, previous to this passage, teaches his disciples that his way is one of suffering and self-sacrifice. Yay! Welcome. Suffering and self-sacrifice. But um, as we've seen, if you've been here, if you haven't, you can go back and listen to the messages. Um, The disciples argue about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so it's like it just doesn't compute. Like suffering and self-sacrifice and privately they're fighting about who Jesus likes the most and who will be the greatest. And it just doesn't make sense. And it continues. Jesus teaches on on kingdom of God greatness, on the kingdom greatness as being a servant. He brings a child onto his lap. I love that image. I love that story. A child in that day especially was one of the least of these. And that here in this passage, here's what we see. The disciples, there's selfish ambition and it's on display again. In fact, um, this this selfish ambition that's on display um, really demonstrate uh, who's in and who's out, who the kingdom of God um, works through and who it doesn't work through. Definitely not them over there. Right? And so we see this at play in this passage, but I don't want to throw them under the bus, uh, the disciples, um, too much because one, this has been me so often in my life. And secondly, they actually ask Jesus, the teacher, will you tell us? And so they actually invite Jesus um, into, uh, into their struggle and into their selfish ambition, which I think is just incredible. And so um, this is all taking place while Jesus is in hiding. Um, he's gearing up to die. This is the last few months. This is potentially the last few weeks of Jesus's life. Um, He isn't preaching to masses. In fact, what we do is we get the image that instead of um, preaching to masses at this point, Jesus has uh, 12 disciples close to him and he's in private. It's like, before I die, I I, I, I gotta get this out. I gotta convey some things to you. And so these are not wide public moments. These are deeply private moments between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is trying to convey to them something. So there are two ways. When we talk about lines, there are two ways that lines are drawn in this um, passage. And I'm going to use this rope just to show you. One, one of the ways that line, lines are drawn in this passage is like this. There's like a straight line. And it's like you, you get in line. You ever hold a rope as a child and you're following along? We should do that sometime as adults. Um, This is one way that a line is drawn in this passage. The other way that a line is drawn in this passage is like this. Creates more of a boundary. This is what I know. This is how God moves. But before we go to that, we're gonna look at the line like this. And, And there it is. And so this is the first image in your mind. If you're taking notes, you can just, it's it's super hard to draw. Just go like that. Uh, That's the first part of it. Um, Sometimes the line goes this way. Let's look at verse 38. It says this. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. You get the image here? Like, he was using your power and your name, but he's not one of us. 
Actually, um, there's a better translation. And if you look at some of the more literal translations, like the NASB, which is usually when I study what I start with, um, it gives it a, a, a bit more clarity, um, which is a bit more congruent with the Greek. And it says this, that he was, it doesn't say he was not one of us. It says he was not following us. So in other words, uh, I'll read it again. Uh, Teacher, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not following us. Do you get the picture of the line? He was not following us. Um, Not following us. Uh, It's painting a word picture. If you want to follow Jesus, get in line behind us. Do you see it now? There's a line and it's drawn this way. Get in line. If you want to follow Jesus, get in line behind us. Because why? We're closer than you are. And so, this is how you turn the gospel of Jesus into a religion. This is actually how you magically take a disciple of Jesus and make them a Pharisee. If you want to follow Jesus, get in line behind us because we are what? Closer. Let me explain. Um, I'm gonna explain by going back all the way to Mark chapter one, and I'm gonna ask this question. What is the gospel? Just think about that question. Gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus. What is the gospel? Chances are, all across this room, um, there would be a a lot of different versions of the same thing, but a a lot of different answers. One One of the best places to start when asking that question is to just go back to Jesus, um, the scripture actually calls out, says Jesus actually preached the gospel in every town and village in Galilee. And so when we ask, what is the gospel? Let's just rewind and go back and look at the gospel that Jesus preached and start there. And, and Mark calls it out in a very succinct manner in, in uh, Mark chapter one, verse 14 through 15. Um, and it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel, um, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, There's a lot here. We actually worked through this passage um, earlier, like a year ago now. Um, But there's a lot of implications here. But there's one that I want to point out, and it's this. That in the kingdom of God, because of Jesus, proximity has changed. In other words, the kingdom of God is no longer something that, that's just accessible when you die and go to heaven someday. That's not the story. Um, the kingdom of God isn't uh, some, somewhere off in a temple at a distance, and you gotta figure out how to interact with that temple. That's not the reality anymore. What Jesus says is the good news of God, is the gospel, the, and this is the gospel of Jesus, is that the kingdom of God is actually within reach. It's within reach. And then if we look at it and we go, okay, who is the kingdom of God um, within reach to? And um, it's actually in reach to everyone. Because it said Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, that the kingdom of God is within reach to everyone. And so what this looks like is it looks less like a line and more like Jesus scattering seeds. He's just throwing them all over the place. Some seeds will, some seeds will, will, 
will get snatched. Some seeds won't grow. How many of you know that? Like you scatter seeds, some won't grow, but some will grow when the soil's good. And Jesus is just throwing seeds out. Like you can't do that. <clears throat> the kingdom, of, it's, it's too sacred. There's, we formed a line. You can't just throw it, throw it, the good news out like that. It's not for everybody anywhere. There's a way of doing this, Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus has given us a dim, different image of what the kingdom of God is all about. And so um, there's a problem um, with this. And the problem is this. There are, re- religions have religious leaders that are in the front of the line. And in this case, in this scripture, they're called Pharisees, they're called Sadducees, they're called all sorts of names, but they're um, teachers of the law, and they are in the front of the line. The front of the line is this. It, it is like importance. I'm closer to God when I'm in the front of the line. So re- religions have religious leaders, and, and those religious leaders, and we're talking about Jesus' day right now, they're in the front of the line, and, and I am more important, I'm closer when I'm at the front of the line. And so people who aren't, who you just, you gotta get in line. No cutters. This is what Pharisees and, and Disney has in, line, has in common. No cutters. It'll tick you off. You've been like waiting in line for two hours and somebody comes up with their slurpee and pretends like they, no. There's no grace here, right? This is how it works. This is how life works. But it's not how the kingdom of God works. So here's what's crazy. This is wild. Think about this. Think about this for a moment. Who were, in a sense, the disciples' enemies? Who were they? Who was trying to get Jesus? Religious leaders, right? That's kind of the image we, we pick up in Scripture. They, they don't like them. But here's what's wild. The disciples were becoming who they disliked the most. Isn't that wild? If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, get in line. No cutters. Sometimes lines go like this. And so Jesus consistently is erasing religious lines. He spoke directly to it by saying, and, he'll, and we'll go into this passage in, in months and weeks to come. And yeah, a year from now in Mark chapter 10, we'll be in this. Um, it's Mark 10, 31. It says, but many who were first will be last and the last will be first. And, and so Jesus is always taking out an eraser to erase this line constantly. Uh, and I wanna point this out because even the prayer time that we did earlier, um, in a sense, that's what that's about. Uh, I love prayer teams. I love having prayer teams available after our gathering. And, and there is something reassuring knowing that you're coming uh, alongside somebody um, that's on a prayer team and you can trust them. Um, but sometimes how we practice the presence to, of God together as a community, um, sometimes, if that's the only way that we do it, if, if the only time you interact with prayer is with somebody from a platform like this or a prayer team member with a badge praying for you, then we create a dynamic in our brains that I like to call red dot people. You've heard me talk about that before if you've been around. Red dot people are this. They're the, the you, so you put a dot on them because those are the people that pray. And, and, and these are the places where prayer happens. And part of the simple exercise of just identifying 
um, needs in this room and, and online, if you're there, having people step to the aisles is one. One, I, I just wanna tell you, I am so proud of our church family. I love you so much. I, I've said over and over to friends of mine, to you, this is a safe place to be weak. This is a safe place for me to be weak. Um, and, and just watching how you take a step of courage and vulnerability saying, I don't have it all together. I came to church, I dressed nice for it, but I don't have it all together. I'm standing here and I just need help, you know? And like, so many of you practice that. And I'm inspired by it, I'm encouraged by it, and you know what? Sometimes I'm right there in the middle of the aisle. But why do we do it? And then, and we do it for the person being prayed for primarily. But you know who else we do it for? The people praying, and here's why. I have this thing in my imagination, and, and I just wonder who in the room decides for the first time, for the first time, I'm gonna go pray for somebody. I don't even know what to say. It's super awkward. I'm gonna try it. You step out, and you, you use your voice, interacting with the presence of God on your own, not on a stage, not, you know, it's like, like there's not red dot people, it's like you practicing the presence of God, why? Because like scattered seed, the kingdom of God is within reach. Of who? Pastors? Of you. The presence of God is here to intimately meet you where you're at, to move through you and, and help and bless, heal other people. And so that's why, and, and I know for some it's uncomfortable when we do that, and I just, I just and, and no, no guilt around the discomfort, but I do wanna say this, we will always risk discomfort to foster a kingdom culture that erases religious lines. And we'll try some other things in the future, and we might, might even say from time to time, we'll never do that again. <laughs> but just know we wanna figure out how to practice the presence of God in a way where everybody gets to play. So, in essence, we're gonna move on um, to the next verse. In essence here, uh, here, here is what um, no line in the kingdom of God really means. It means this, you don't need a pastor um, a priest or anyone else to access God in his kingdom. You can take hold of it and enter into it on your own. In other words, and I'll just use me as an example, I'm not a gatekeeper, I'm a pointer. I'm with you in this. I feel unqualified all the time just like you do. I can appear like I have it together on the, ins on the outside and be a wreck on the inside. My insecurity plagues me just like it does for you, but, but what can we all do because we have a God that pursues us? Run, just like in Hebrews, run boldly to the throne of grace. Who can run boldly? Say it with me. All. Glad I said all, didn't you? It wasn't a trick question. All right. So sometimes the line goes this way. And um, sometimes, like I said before, it doesn't go that way. Sometimes it goes this way. So sometimes it goes this way, and sometimes it goes that way. And so sometimes the line looks like this, and, and I gotta move this more into the line because you gotta stay in, you gotta stay in. Sometimes it moves that way, sometimes it moves this way. Let's look at verse 39 through 40, I'll tell you what I mean. It says, do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against 
us is for us. So for the disciples, the kingdom of God didn't just have lines like this. The kingdom of God actually had boundaries. And what's interesting about lines and boundaries, and so a boundary is like this, is like um, God moves like this. God, God moves this way, right here. This is, this is what I know of God, and this is how God moves. Interesting thing about lines. Lines make us feel important when we're at the front. Boundaries make us feel safe. And so we want to feel safe in this adventure in the, uh, of the kingdom of God. We want to, here, here's a problem, though, um, with that idea. The problem is, is that Jesus isn't safe. Um, and, and that might throw some of you off when I say that. Uh, let me explain it like this. I'm going to use a metaphor from the uh, book, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. But it actually comes from Scripture. When Jesus has a term, the Lion of Judah, uh, Jesus is gentle and humble. Jesus is also a lion. Jesus doesn't fall under our authority. We don't tame Jesus. We're not all-knowing. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipresent. And so we come under the authority of Jesus. And so if you look at this um, imagery from the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe where Aslan is actually... Uh, the Jesus figure in the story, um, Mr. Beaver, who's one of my favorite, is trying to explain to Susan the nature of, of Aslan. And here's how it goes. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion, said Mr. Beaver. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Because of course you're gonna ask that if he's a lion. <laughs> he has teeth. Um, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Back to the original question. How do you respond when God colors outside of the line? Second question. What happens when God moves in a way that you don't have a category for? Jesus begins coloring outside the disciples' lines um, and confronting their safe, predictable faith with, by, by actually quoting an ancient philosopher, Cicero, and Jesus says this, and he's quoting an ancient philosopher, um, and this one little line I'm gonna share with you became kind of an axiom for that day. In other words, everyone knew it. And Jesus quotes him and says this, for whomever is not against us is for us. And what's interesting is when Jesus' application of this axiom to how his kingdom works, um, uh, you know, it, it didn't just color outside the lines. When Jesus actually used that, it was, it was pretty shocking. And in a way, it, it was Jesus, and I know I didn't draw this line, but it was Jesus taking a giant eraser and beginning to erase the boundaries of how they thought Jesus should and could work. If you can picture it like this, can you picture the disciples scratching their head and in, in, in thinking something along the lines of if they're a human being, which they are, and we see this in here, not in these words, but we know they struggled with this. Wait, wait, the kingdom of God can move through that guy over there? Wait, 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 wait. That guy over there can be a follower of Jesus? That guy over there? He's following Jesus? No, 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 because he's not behind us. So the, the Bible declares over and over and over, and, and I'm gonna paraphrase it, oh, you thought you could control this thing? 
And we see it all throughout scripture. Human beings trying to take control and, and God moving beyond our control. Um, and, 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 and remember this image, it's in Matthew chapter 17 that Jesus gives us a faith, it's a mustard seed. Now I wanna look at this image for a second of a mustard seed. Um, it, you know, if you have a, a faith that's even, even like a mustard seed, it'll, it'll move a mountain. And many times when we look at that and we think about a mustard seed, we're thinking size, it's really small. So you just need a little faith. But actually, there's so much more to a mustard seed than just being small. Um, a mustard seed is also an invasive plant that essentially grows everywhere. It can grow through the roughest terrain. In other words, faith is like a mustard seed. It's small, but when it takes root, it can invade anything. It can grow through anything. And so... Faith is like that. It invades darkness, and it grows in the wildest, most unsuspecting places. And, and this is hard news for um, the line-drawing religious leaders. It's hard news for them because they're no longer the front of the line, and they're no longer in control. But this is great news for the rest of us. It's great news for the rest of us. So um, I want to play it out um, like this real quick. <clears throat> so if you've had the line drawn like this, it's a circle, it's a perimeter, and they had a sense that um, there's a guy, th this, is, this is where Jesus is moving, right here, right with us. We're the disciples of Jesus, and here's how Jesus moves. There's a guy over there, though, casting out demons in your name, Jesus, and apparently it's working, and um, it didn't work for them a little while earlier, but uh, we won't get into all that, but, um, and, and so their idea is you gotta, you gotta come over here. You gotta, and Jesus, you actually need to call him over here, right? But, but the circle's not big enough. <laughs> it's not big enough. So the guy over here at a distance now, if that's true, if that's true, he's thinking how, how do I get over there and how do I get in that small circle, especially when the disciples are standing like this? How do I get, how do I get in there? But actually, what we see in this seed-scattering reality of the kingdom of God, we see something very different, and it's this. Actually, following Jesus is less about crossing the line and more about doing this. just turning around. You've heard me say it before, why? Because Jesus traveled the distance to us so we don't have to travel the distance to him. Jesus pursues us. I remember a moment um, years ago when I was an intern. I was after, just after high school. I was a teenager, an intern, and um, man, I was struggling with a lot of legalism in my life, and um, Sin in my life was just crushing me on the inside. I was just like, I, I can't. I was training to be a pastor for heaven's sakes. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't lead people. I can't, you know, da, 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 da. all the things that actually are true. Um, but I had the whole idea of it backwards. And so I got, I, I sat down with my youth pastor, who's kind of like a spiritual mom to me, um, like you are to so many. And, and I, I sat down with her. And I'm, again, I'm training to be a pastor and I confessed my sin 
And here's what I'm thinking in my, in my mind. I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm gonna get kicked out of the internship. I'm thinking it's done, it's over. First thing she said to me, you're a man of God. That was her first response. I just told you all the crap in my life. I'm not a man of God. And there's one statement that we said over and over in that day that's followed me to this day, and it's this. It's not about your perfection, but your direction. It's your trajectory. Have I turned towards Jesus? There's no measuring stick. Like, the disciples are closer to Jesus than that man. Look, okay, look, they're a yard away, and, and he's like a mile away. No, no, I say, you turn towards Jesus. Jesus died and rose again, and who did Jesus send? The very spirit, very presence to saturate the earth. Not just pursuing people across Galilee, but now pursuing every human being. So when you are laying your head down at night and you're freaked out, carrying the weight of the world, you can't sleep, maybe it's money, maybe it's your body, maybe it's just anxiety and it's scary because you don't know where it's coming from, right there you can turn to Jesus. It's it's trajectory. And this man, apparently further from Jesus than the disciples, was already beginning to learn, even though his theology was probably a little jacked up, but even still, he was learning that Jesus will meet him where he's at. Not where he wishes he could be, not where he wants to be. And the disciples were learning that as well. And who needed to know that? All of them. Peter comes to my mind. He needs to know that. Jesus will meet you in your denial. So, um, and then it moves on and it becomes more beautiful and we'll end with this. Verse 41. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Um, now, this is in the Middle East, and in the Middle East, Katie, I came prepared. Um, just kidding. Just watched last week if you weren't here. Um, this is in the Middle East, and hospitality in the Middle East, even to this day, it's like a religion. I've spent some time there, and it's just, I mean, it's beautiful, and it will challenge your idea of hospitality in many ways. So this is the Middle East, and a cup of water was the gift of the poorest of the poor. And so when Jesus is saying, you give a cup of cold water in my name, even then you won't lose your reward, what is Jesus saying? Probably a lot of things we could spend a lot more time on, but there's at least two. And let me share them with you. Any of us and all of us can participate in the kingdom of God. Any of us and all of us can participate in kingdom work. It is not reserved for the wealthy, the educated, or the affluent. And in fact, if you're a kingdom person, you realize that your education, your wealth, and your affluence is not yours anymore. You've laid it down for the sake of, the, of, of God's kingdom, and, that, and that's where generosity is born. It's beautiful. But it is not reserved. In fact, I also believe it's saying, don't underestimate the power of small acts of kindness like a mustard seed. God can use a cup of cold water to invade darkness. It's not taking really sacred things 
like, um, uh, it's not like the kingdom of God. How dare you bring that down to the level of just a simple cup of water? It's way more sacred than that. No, no, no. It's taking the cup of water and elevating it. Because God can use that. In fact, I think God gets so much more glory when he uses the simple things. Um, so, so let's do this. Let's stand together and worship team, you can come up. And uh, here's, here's how we'll end today. Um, I'll explain in the, after the rumble, my favorite sound in the world. Um, it's awesome. So we're gonna name some things together. And then we're gonna pray. We're gonna name some things and then we're gonna pray. And then at the very end of our gathering, after the worship team plays, we actually have a group going to serve at Minnesota camp, um, serving many of our friends and, and families who have special needs and it's a powerful endeavor of kingdom work and we're gonna pray for them as well. Uh, but let's name some things together and I just wrote out a few things and I wanna read them to you today. And as a church, we are not at the front of the line. We are not kingdom experts. We don't have this ministry thing figured out. Our goal is not to be the best deliverer of religious goods and services. Our goal is not to be to have the best music, to be the best preachers. It's not our goal. To have the best programs. Our goal is to unapologetically lift up Jesus. To be a people who doesn't declare open door, a sermon, or a preacher saves, but to only declare it is Jesus who actually saved you. Don't get the names mixed up. Our goal is to be faithful to the mission of God that God has given us as one of many kingdom outposts in our community called the local church, one of many. Our goal, and the truth is, that we are part of a much bigger kingdom story unfolding in our area and our goal is to partner with that story, not write our own. So what I'd love to invite us to, to pray about today and we're actually gonna pray our prayers now for outside of the open door lines, outside of this space, outside of what we know as a church family for the broader kingdom of God movements around us. Why? Because God's kingdom is much bigger than Church of the Open Door but I'm so glad we get to be a part of it. So glad. And I'm glad it's bigger too, because that'd be a lot of pressure on us. We're just not that cool. Um, we are pretty cool, we're just not that cool. Um, and super awkward, I'll show which I love. So here's what I began to do as I began to think about our prayer time. And we've, we've practiced this before, but I think it's a really great practice to realize that we're not the only local church in town. Um, I wanna encourage you to um, actually take a moment and close your eyes and picture the gathered church in our area for a moment. The gathered church, even right now, churches are meeting all over our community. Um, but picture the church in our community, old churches, young churches, diverse churches, black churches, Korean churches, white churches, churches with a lot, churches with a little, but all these churches preaching and worshiping, welcoming the stranger, serving the poor, praying for the sick, giving out cups of cold water, or coffee, <laughs> in Jesus' name. So here's what I wanna ask you is, um, with your, when, when you're just imagining churches, what church comes to mind? Maybe it's a church that you grew up in. 
Maybe it's a church that you drive past on the way to our church gathering here today. And again, you're dri- a church is a people, not a building. I get that. But a, a building can represent a local group of people, a local outpost of the kingdom of God. And, um, and so what comes to mind? Um, whether, whether good feelings or bad feelings come with that, that's irrelevant at this point. It's not the point. How you feel about it's not the point. Whether you agree with their theology perfectly is, is not the point. We see here in scripture that God's using all of it. So what comes to mind? Okay, now open your eyes. Here's what I wanna invite us to do. We're gonna sing the song Gratitude because we're grateful to the big story that God is telling. And in the four corners of this room, well, back there in those corners, actually, and then up here, there's boards and there's one up there as well. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If a church came to mind, I wanna encourage you to name it and that's gonna be a point of prayer. Name it and, and pray for that church family in our community or maybe it's somewhere in the world, but pray for it. And when you name it, I wanna encourage you to actually come at some point and write it on this board. And we'll let these boards live around here for a few weeks as a point of prayer for the church families that Jesus has brought to mind in this moment um, that we can be praying for, that we can be um, thinking about, that we can be standing with whatever they're going through. And so we're gonna create some space um, to do that and worship for a little bit. So feel free to interact with those boards. Feel free to worship Jesus with all your heart. So God, we pause. We lift up our voices. We lift up our imagination to you. Help us to erase lines. Help us to see the broader story of, of your kingdom work that you're telling in our community and beyond so that we can be a part of it. And we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.